Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Well the Defence Minister of Australia, Robert Hill Says the government's continuing to talk to the US About Australia developing a missile defence system Earlier this year, the government revealed it was considering whether a shield could be put in place to protect Australia against possible missile attacks. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. This week, we're hearing from Ray Atchison, Director of Reaching Critical Will, the disarmament section of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, based in New York. At a recent talk in Sydney, Ray delved into the current international momentum for a nuclear weapons ban treaty, currently unfolding on the back of UN working group meetings this year. We expect a resolution to be put forward at this October's meeting of the UN General Assembly, establishing a mandate to begin negotiating a treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons in 2017. Later on, we'll hear about the less positive topic of fully autonomous weapons or killer robots. But for now, let's hear about the impending nuclear ban treaty. So for the last year um, in Geneva at the United Nations, there's been a working group that's been open to all countries to participate in, that has been tasked with uh, coming up with recommendations for moving forward with multilateral nuclear disarmament. So we're in the situation, as you all know probably, for the last several decades now of stalemate at the UN in terms of anything happening on nuclear weapons. Uh, and of course, Recently, the U.S. and Russia have not been interested in bilateral reductions. They've been more interested in reviving the Cold War, it seems. Um, You have all of the nuclear armed states uh, investing billions of dollars into modernizing nuclear weapons, so basically extending their lives into the indefinite future. Most recently, we just had the vote in the U.K., over renewal of their Trident missile system with some extremely concerning statements from some of the UK leadership. Uh, Theresa May saying that she's totally willing to incinerate 100,000 people if it was in the UK's interests. Mm. Um, So things don't look good. The nuclear armed states really aren't playing ball in terms of their legal obligation to eliminate their nuclear weapons. So For the last few years, concerned states have been gathering in this series of conferences looking at the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons. This has been really interesting. Um, The nuclear armed states, at least the permanent five that are in the Security Council, they they boycotted the early ones. Uh, The U.S. and the U.K. came to the later ones, uh, the the last one in Vienna. But... um, The interesting thing about this is that it's really taken a sideswipe at nuclear weapons. Um, It's looked at the impact on human bodies and the environment of a nuclear weapon detonation, even just one nuclear weapon, but also getting into the uh, ideas around nuclear war and um, or exchanges of multiple nuclear weapons as well. And it's undermined... um, 
very fundamentally this approach to nuclear weapons that looks at these as somehow abstract tools. Um, the UK calls nuclear weapons their nuclear deterrent. Mm. They don't even use the word weapon when they talk about uh, a nuclear weapon. Um, they describe what they think it does for their security. And this is the way that uh, all the nuclear armed states see and perceive and project their, their nuclear weapons. They describe themselves as nuclear powers. Um, so this, this series of conferences really started to undermine that and, um, and sort of dissect that. And uh, it was very clear through these meetings um, that were very well attended by uh, most countries in the world, also by the International Red Cross, international humanitarian aid organizations and human rights organizations. And the overwhelming um, sort of consensus at these meetings is that there's no adequate response to nuclear weapon, weapon detonation. There's no way the international community respond. It would destroy uh, our lives as we know it, no matter where the detonation occurred. So this has been really good. Um, and building up a sense of collectivity around non-nuclear armed states, building up a sense of rage and injustice and frustration, um, because in the meantime, of course, the non-proliferation treaty meetings have continued and continued and uh, failing to implement agreements from 2000 and then from 2010 and then couldn't even reach any agreement in 2015. So there's a growing sense of, of frustration with, uh, with the inability of the nuclear armed states to really take their commitments seriously and to follow through on things they agree to. And then on top of that, them boycotting these conferences uh, really, really angered a lot of states, um, a lot of powerful states um, that don't have nuclear weapons. Um, so all of that resulted last year in the General Assembly deciding to set up this working group that I started with that's been running for the last year. And um, as I said, it was open to all states, but uh, the nuclear armed boycotted this as well, just as they did the Humanitarian Initiative conferences. He's live bleeding. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. terrorism. A CIA conspiracy. It might be. Um, and it was an interesting series of discussions. It met uh, for a few weeks in February and in May, and then for one week in August. And uh, in the May session, it was really interesting because all of a sudden, we had all of these states that were coming out very strongly behind an idea that ICANN and um, a few very small core group of states has been promoting now for a few years, which is to negotiate a treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, even if the nuclear armed states don't want to participate in those negotiations. So it's one of these really interesting things about advocacy, where sometimes for years you feel like you're bashing your head against the wall and nobody's picking up on this idea and you're just saying the same thing over and over again. And then all of a sudden, 107 states are saying what you asked them to say four years ago. Like, oh, great. Well, glad you guys are here. Excellent. Uh, do what you will with this. So we had a real uh, surge in May in support of this, which, of course, freaked out the nuclear armed states allies, which uh, they had operating the rooms as proxies. Number one of those, of course, was Australia. 
um, doing the, the dirty work for the United States and, and, uh, and other countries. But there is, a, there is a small core group on that side too, about uh, 20, 22 countries that all uh, include nuclear weapons in their security doctrine. So some, like Australia, have this notion of extended nuclear deterrence, some misguided belief that if uh, a city in Australia is bombed, the United States is going to bomb Russia. Seems pretty unlikely that they do that, but uh, you know, your security policy is built on it, so way to go. Um, but a lot of other countries have that understanding too. Some countries, including those in NATO, a few in NATO, um, have actual US weapons on their soil and they have their planes that are all configured to, to drop those bombs if there's another uh, situation where they feel that that's warranted, um, which is arguably, some of us say, in violation of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, but they kind of built that loophole right into the treaty, which is one of the problems with it. Um, so those countries, about 22 countries, they, they, they don't like this prohibition idea, but some of them find it a little bit difficult to be too vocal about that because most of those countries are democracies and uh, there's overwhelming support from the populations uh, in those countries for a ban treaty. Uh, we've polled in the Netherlands, we've polled here. Tim was just telling me yesterday that 84% of the Australian population um, wants a ban treaty, and actually only 2% were against it. The rest were sort of didn't really know what was being talked about. Um, but, but 84 to 2 is pretty compelling that Australians would like to see a nuclear weapon ban treaty. It's similar numbers in the Netherlands and in Germany and many of these countries, in Canada as well, many of these countries that are part of that NATO alliance or the Extended Nuclear Deterrence Alliance, but uh, their populations don't support that. Japan, of course, is like, I don't know, like 98% of the country would like nuclear weapons to be eliminated, but the Japanese government is still uh, very much... Um, opposing a ban treaty or any other steps towards nuclear disarmament. The other thing about these is that these countries that are um, opposing the ban treaty internationally is that it's not just their populations, but a lot of their parliaments have actually um, indicated opposition to the government's position. So in Norway and the Netherlands in particular, we've had very strong parliamentary uh, motions uh, calling on their governments to change their position on this. And what's been interesting is that at these most recent meetings at the UN, it's largely neutralized uh, the delegations from being able to speak out very strongly against it because they do have these things going on back at home which contradict their, their positions. So. Um, one of the things, uh, Tim and I just came up from Canberra, and one of the things that we've been doing there is looking at how to do something similar in Australia uh, to neutralize Australia going into the General Assembly. And so there's a, a motion that's um, been put forward in the Senate now uh, that urges the Australian government to, um, to accept the recommendation of the Open-Ended Working Group and support um, negotiations going forward. Uh, so we're hoping that if this uh, passes in the Senate, it won't have government support, of course. Uh, it would be opposition-led. Um, but if the Senate has that as something that it can pass, then it could potentially um, make life a little more difficult, at least for Australia, come October. Which brings me to October, which is going to be really exciting. So the outcome of this 
um, working group was completely directed towards October, towards the General Assembly. Whatever it does itself uh, doesn't really matter. It was all about um, what it was going to recommend the General Assembly do. And um, after all these weeks of meetings uh, in Geneva, the, um, the majority consensus was around um, recommending that the General Assembly start in 2017 negotiations for prohibition treaty. Great. This is exactly what we want. Um, and they tried to make it a consensus outcome, so through the course of some long into the night negotiations, they came up with a formulation that made it very clear that the majority supported this um, and that uh, there was this other group of like 20 countries who didn't support it um, and wanted to continue on the same path that we've been on for the last 71 years, basically doing nothing. Um, so that's all fine and good. That was acceptable. You know, it wasn't, nobody was happy, but it was, it was um, good enough to get us to the General Assembly with what we wanted to do. And everyone came away from those negotiations thinking that that was agreed text. Uh, and then, all of a sudden, about 10 minutes before the meeting starts, we watch the Australian uh, delegation run into the room, and they look a little frantic, and we're thinking, hmm. What's up with them? What are they so upset about? Um, and then the next thing you know, we have the Australian ambassador raising his placard and saying, um, uh, us on behalf of 14 states, which was mostly Eastern European NATO countries, but also Italy, um, said we, we can't accept this report. And the chair said, all right. And then he moved on and had some other statements. And then Australia put up its placard again and said, on behalf of Australia on our own, we cannot support this report, and uh, it's unacceptable, and it can't go forward like this. So that was even stronger than what they had delivered before. And then um, the Mexicans decided to make it a little bit harder for them and said, oh, well, are, are you asking us to vote on this? Because the chair was uh, starting to move forward with that, and Mexico was just like, no, 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 wait a second. <laughs> let's, let's make them say it. So then he made the Australian ambassador say that he was forcing a vote. So this call caused a huge um, uproar in the chamber. We had to suspend for 30 minutes, move to a different room. Interpretation services left. This was late at night after 6 p.m. We lost a bunch of countries because they just went off to, you know, went home. I don't know. They had flights to catch. They didn't expect to be voting on this thing. They, they thought it was over with. They thought they'd agreed the night before to the text. Um, so a lot of people left, but um, the uh, group of Latin American and Caribbean states uh, met very quickly in a caucus and decided, hey, if Australia wants us to vote, we're going to vote on what we want, not what we watered down in good faith to reach a consensus outcome with these guys. This is The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're hearing from Ray Atchison, director of Reaching Critical Will, at a recent talk in Sydney. She's taking us through the dramatic finale of the recent UN Working Group, at which Australia embarrassingly resisted moves by a majority of nations to kick-start negotiations on a nuclear weapons ban treaty. Why not we bashed and crashed and smashed and asked friends to help us in our task for revenge, sending men to end all the sets. So... Uh, when we reconvened to vote, 
Guatemala put forward a strengthened um, text for the outcome, which instead of giving this wishy-washy language about majority support, it just said the open-ended working group recommends this. Um, and that's what was voted on, and that was what was adopted. Um, like I said, we had 107 states indicate support for this initiative, but because it was Friday night after 6 p.m., only 68 were in the room, so it was adopted with 68 in favor, the 22 against, nine abstentions. Uh, Australia's allies were furious. Japan uh, was furious at them. Norway, Netherlands also very upset. Um, it forced their hand. They had to publicly decide whether they were going to abstain or or vote against. Some of these countries, the ones I just mentioned, they abstained. Uh, Canada, Germany, and Italy, they voted against. Um, New Zealand was very upset with Australia also. They couldn't get their minister on the phone, so they just didn't participate at all. They didn't want to abstain because they would have preferred to be in favor, so they just sat there with their hands folded and didn't participate and then delivered a really scathing uh, statement about Australia's behavior. So, yeah, I'm sure that, I mean, I, know, I understand there's something else going on underneath the surface there that's uh, uh, it's just an extra dig, but um, it's good theater. Um, so that's what happened there. So basically, Australia forcing the vote resulted in us getting a stronger, clearer recommendation to carry this forward to the General Assembly. It won. So you know, we have, a, we have a clear majority that supports this, um, and it will go forward at the General Assembly now. And uh, it angered a lot of Australia's allies. It burned the two diplomats who were in the room, their credibility, because how, they negotiated in good faith this outcome document, and then they spoiled it at the end. So that's going to be very harmful for them in terms of in October, their, you know, their colleagues are going to laugh at them when they suggest things to water things down or, or change things. Um, and it also, I think, for a few countries that were on the fence, it brought them over to the side of the ban because they were they were upset about the way this this went down and felt that the the opposing side really isn't operating in good faith and there's something happening outside of this room. I mean, did Australia really just decide on its own it was going to burn its own diplomats' credibility, or was there something else going on there um, from countries that were not present? So. Um, Overall, it massively backfired for Australia and was uh, very good for us. Um, of course, the, the reason to do this from the viewpoint of the nuclear arms states is that now we don't have a consensus report, so no one can say it was a consensus agreement going to the General Assembly. But that said, we still uh, have the numbers going into October in the General Assembly. So we still have numbers on our side, and that's really good. Um, and that's where the fight's going to be. Uh, they're going to have to come up with a resolution that contains a mandate to set up these negotiations now to start in 2017. So that's the next step, is they have to agree on the parameters for those negotiations. Uh, from ICANN's side, our demand has always been that it's open to all states but blockable by none, so it is not a consensus-based process so that you can't have the United States itself or sending a proxy in to shut, shut it down, basically, and just be totally obstructionist. Um, and also that it's inclusive of civil society so that we have a role and a voice and can participate. At the end of the day, the 
treaties that are negotiated are negotiated among states, so we understand that there will be some things that we can't participate in, but we want it to be as broadly inclusive as of us and also the Red Cross and other um, important groups as much as possible. So those are that's what we're looking for in the mandate, and um, supportive governments are, are on board with that. But there's going to be a fight. We know already that the United States is planning on sending a very large delegation, and we know that its intention is going to be to prevent this from going forward. Uh, we know that all of the allies of the United States that uh, do have nuclear weapons in their security doctrines are going to be deployed at full force to uh, mess this up as best they can. Um, we know that one of their tactics is probably going to be around uh, UN budgets. We're in the unfortunate position that uh, the UN budgets are established um, uh, for two years at a time, and we're in the middle of that. So they can say, oh, no, new money for, for uh, meetings. We can't have this. Sorry. Um, so put it off till another year, and then they have a year to kill the momentum and go around and um, challenge capitals on this. So... Um, we're trying to come up with creative solutions to that with our government friends, and they're, of course, thinking three steps ahead. So we're fairly confident that uh, this will go through, but we know it's going to be a battle. We know that after this working group in Geneva, all of the key supportive states were demarched by the United States, which means that you know there was calls at the level of foreign ministers to capitals saying, you're your diplomats are out of line, you shouldn't pursue this anymore, etc. So far, that's been not a problem. Everyone at home has been well briefed. But of course, how far do they want to take this? How much pressure do they want to put on? This is going to be the kind of thing that comes up at General Assembly. It's all very unjust. It's all very big power politics. Um, and it's something that we're going to be trying to keep our eye on and expose as much as possible in the countries in which this is happening um, and at the UN itself. And trying to provide this sense of, of collectivity and solidarity among states so that they feel comfortable enough going forward, that they're not alone in this, that, that, that the U.S. or others can't threaten them. We're hoping that the U.S. election actually uh, helps us out a little bit there, that the system at home might be in a bit of disarray. So, But they're quite good at just kind of shoving through things when they want. So... Um, so we're really excited about that, and we're very confident that we have the numbers and that we have, obviously, the moral authority and that this is built up to such a thing that it's going to look really embarrassing for countries to backtrack from it now, um, which is the point we were a little bit lacking until this year. So um, things are looking good. We're excited. We're happy. Um, we're energized, and mm -hmm. we're hoping to have really good news for you by uh, the beginning of mm -hmm. November. You're listening to Ray Atchison, Director of Reaching Critical Will, laying out current progress on banning nuclear weapons and Australia's shameful behaviour as a weasel state or a nuclear weapon apologist for the United States. Let's hear briefly about developments in another area. Let me tell you about killer robots. So... Um, when people aren't sure what I mean when I say killer robots or autonomous weapons, I mean, of course, your mind can go to uh, Battlestar Galactica or the Terminator and you can see a humanoid robot. Um, that's actually not that far away, but it isn't what we're talking about in the like, nearest future, which is if you could picture a drone, but instead of this drone being part of this network where there's humans involved all over the world, involved in analyzing the data, targeting the drone, piloting the drone, etc. 
what you have is a um, you have the manufacturer building the drone, you have a software engineer programming the drone with a bunch of algorithms, and then you have a commander who is in charge of um, launching this drone, um, deciding to send it out into the battlefield. But then, once it's out there, that tool, that machine, is totally on its own. It collects the data, it analyzes the data according to its algorithms, it decides what is a target, and it decides how and when to engage that target. So it's a robot, it's a machine, and it is taking life and death decisions. We try not to call them decisions because we don't want it to make it seem human, but that's what it's doing, is it's, it's making those decisions on the basis of software algorithms. I'm pretty sure all of us can identify about a million things that are wrong with this right off the bat, um, from uh, what happens if it's hacked, um, what happens if it makes the wrong call, how does it distinguish between a child and a soldier, how does it distinguish between a soldier that's surrendering and a soldier that's firing at it. Um, how does it distinguish between a building that is full of civilians and a building that is, um, may or may not have some kind of military installation in it? Does it make the decision that that installation, that it's identified, there's a, a tank inside that building, but it's right next to a school. How does it make that decision that the school's right next to it? How do you program a robot with IHL and human rights? Um, there's too many questions that range from the legal and the moral and the ethical um, but when you get right down to it, there's, there's something about this that is just humanly repugnant. And this is the argument, I think, that in the end has to be the most compelling for most people, is do you want to be killed by a machine? Do you want, that, do you want to be staring at a machine and it has the decision over your life and death? How does it value your life as a human being? I mean, we can say the arguments for them have been oh, there won't be any emotion involved, so, um, you know, we won't have, like, massacres of soldiers going into villages uh, shooting everyone. But, uh, actually, that could be an algorithm, so yes, you could have that. We've also heard uh, robot soldiers won't rape. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can all think of the arguments about why that is terrible. You can program a, ro a robot to kill, you can program it to rape also. So there's there's all of these terrible sort of very surface arguments in, in favor of these, of these machines. But I think at the end of the day, the idea of a machine having the power to kill a human being um, has to win uh, and, and is sort of the most compelling argument is we can go into the legal, the political, the economic, whatever you want. But... Um, it's, it's, there's something very repugnant about that. Identities lie bleeding. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. This has been the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on the land of the Kulin Nations and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Many thanks to Ray Atchison, Director of Reaching Critical Will, the disarmament section of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and also to the Wilf New South Wales branch for organising the meeting at which Ray spoke. The music you've heard on this show is Star Wars from Combat Wombat. You can get in touch with The Radioactive Show by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or call up the station on 03 9419 8377. 
Thanks for listening and for a nuclear-free future. You seem to have forgotten... Conscious awareness, that's in question, no more guessing. Tired of being ignored, the shadow definitely flexing. Undealt with making a world like a shoot 'em up western. In a mad escalating session of aggression and a war thirst with no lesson from the past. We blast, carpet bomb, and ask, why do they hate us and make us escape nuts? Wake up, why not we bash them, crash them, smash them? Ask friends to help us in our task for revenge. Send in men to end all the sentence. Bring in a cream of militant to distinguish the innocent. Trust our premises, the nemesis. Is dust a must? Sending enough trucks, tanks, missiles abroad. Drop bombs till there's nothing around to blow up. Sending enough of our best tanks, trucks, missiles and such. Drop bombs till there's nothing around to blow up. Drop bombs till there's no one left but friends hating us. Our planet seething, obviously angered. America's righteous constitution gets mangled. Daily operation as a commentator spray. Verbal agent orange if you get in their way. Paid in full to back the bending of rules. When fools take power, they're sort. It's indeed cruel, nothing new This Christian empire finds that Jesus was indeed born in Palestine Remind, remind, remind yourself That history is written by the man with wealth But he is passionless next to those who felt The rough hand the corrupt man has dealt Where's the next target? Civilian market? Pursue those goals and fuck the families that cock it The whole sky is filled with immense darkness Where's the love? Is it too much to ask this? ideology like a toxic stool Religious fundamentalists look to argue Different ideology brew like a toxic stool Mad politicians them look to argue As Hezbollah in the public with the Israelites and Intifada Or be with the Muslim, Christian, Hindu, India, Pakistan, Korea All the way, Australia, all the brain Making way brace for the big fire Temperature around the globe, watch it grow hotter More guns are more blood clots Check the blood empire with the blood Of today's world. world.